Welcome to the Weird Thing Podcast, Episode 4, Gender. I'm your host this week, uh, Rich Blackett, and with me are Suzanne and Joachim. So Joachim, would you like to start us off with this potentially spicy topic of how gender and sex and gender identity uh, intersect with heathen? Uh, okay, I can start. Although I'm not sure uh, how to start because this is a topic I feel very related to and I could talk about it for hours, uh, which we won't do today, <laughs> I, uh, I assume. Yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting topic because most people will assume that uh, gender and sex are the, are, the, are the same or gender identity and uh, physical body are the same. And for most people, that will be true. However, having a trans uh, background, I can tell you that uh, it certainly isn't uh, the, the same. And well, in that respect, my life has, has been an interesting journey because I was born a female body. And I knew something wasn't feeling quite right. And when puberty hit, uh, it most definitely didn't feel right. But yeah, uh, other uh, people my, uh, in their, in their age or in their teens were, weren't happy either because you all get new stuff uh, on your body and everyone has to get used to it. And that uh, takes a bit, a bit of time. And I think I was about 30 that I realized, hey, uh, I am actually trans. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a guy. And then a, a journey started uh, to this discover, yeah, but what kind of guy uh, am I? And what is the difference between women and men? And how do I want people to address me as he or as they or something else? And all that kind of questions, which was interesting, I'd say. Uh, and yeah, I could advise everyone to think a bit more about sex, about bodies, about gender identity, and not assume gender based on bodies or uh, clothing. Um, and that kind of stuff, just ask people or uh, make it gender neutral so you uh, include everyone. I was just going to say, obviously, you can't expect, I can't expect you to speak for all people who are trans or people who are, should we say, gender non-conforming. But I was interested, perhaps, to hear about your experiences um, as a pagan or heathen and how that has, if there's any positive or negative things you've encountered along the way. Um, I wasn't that much into heathenry yet when uh, when I uh, tran uh, transitioned, so actually I can't tell. But now, yeah, what I notice is uh, that some places are very gendered. So males um, uh, have roles, females have have certain roles, and 
and most people don't don't think uh, that could uh, could be a, a issue. And yeah, I don't I don't feel entirely at ease in or at uh, at ease in that kind of places because I do feel men. I don't feel the same as a cis man because I I have a trans uh, background. So I will always be uh, a different kind uh, kind of, of uh, guy. And I have a really good experiences uh, with a queer pagan camp that I uh, go to as uh, often as I am able to in the UK, where they are very uh, inclusive for all sexes, genders, and uh, se sexual orientations. And that is just brilliant. We, uh, they are, we, uh, we have people, and that's uh, and that's it. I was just going to ask her what Susanne, uh, what your thoughts were on on this. I mean, it's a potentially very sort of um, emotive, spicy s subject for people, um, rightly or wrongly, uh, whether they are trans or, or whatever. Um, but potentially, that it, it can be. Um, a very inclusive thing if it's worked out the right way, I, I would hope. What are your thoughts on that? I think, yes, it, it can make a group very aware if they do have, uh, if they've had gendered roles, if they've had very, maybe very, even unconscious gender roles in the past to be able to actually examine those and sit down and say, right, have we, are we looking at gender stereotypes here? Are we looking at expectations that certain people will take certain roles in our ceremonies or when we set up a, a campsite? Is there a, a split of, of jobs of labor that naturally falls amongst gender lines? And to then be inclusive, I think, means that a group needs to sit down and look at those um, unconscious gender biases almost and be able to examine them and pull them out into the light and make decisions based on uh, maybe more on the jobs that people want to do rather than the ones they might be expected to do because of somebody else's perception of that person's gender. Mm. I think it's, it's obviously about asking questions of people, but in a respectful way, I think is perhaps the way, what would make you feel comfortable in this situation and sort of, trying to find some route that is um, respectful, uh, but also uh, positive, I think is the way forward. Because I think uh, we, met, we talked um, in, in the prep for this episode about a big ritual that Astro UK is doing. And I think in the, in the rough, very rough, earliest draft of the, uh, the big ritual we're planning, somebody had written, oh, well, this will be the point where the mead maidens come around. And somebody said, does it have to be maidens? Does it have to be women? And the person right said, no, just meat carriers? Yeah, fine, no problem. Little things like that, very small, just sort of to, to remove the gendered language. And I think that's positive, regardless of whether there were trans or non-binary or, or, or sort of um, gender-divergent people there. I think it's just better to not have it sort of too structured and I mean, there are certain groups of, uh, who describe themselves as reconstructionists who, are, who say that things must be very, very gendered and the gods only see you in the, the, you know, the, 
gender in which you were born and all this kind of thing. But those are very small groups, and I think the majority of the, the bigger, more inclusive groups, and it's significant that the inclusive groups are bigger and are more positive and are growing, whereas these smaller groups are not. I think that tells you everything about that. That the, the more yeah. these groups have become inclusive, the, mm-hmm. the, the bigger that community, the more positive that community has become. Yeah, and it's what you say, uh, it's the little things like, uh, like the meat uh, carriers. For some, some people, it won't be necessary, but it won't hurt them either. And when you call it the meat maidens, then it will hurt some, some, uh, some people because uh, they, they feel excluded by this kind of language. And then I think it's just a little thing to uh, change it. And of course, it will uh, take people some time to get used to it. Neutral language, I, I think, in, in the end, will uh, be- uh, benefit most, uh, most of us because Absolutely. it is neutral. I mean, there are more complex issues, which I, I, I can't think of a, of, a, of a quick solution for, but there will be one, like things if, we're, say, someone's having a, a, an overnight stay in, like, a bunkhouse or something like that, and all the men will sleep in one room, couples will sleep in one room, and women will sleep in another one. But if somebody says, well, I'm non-binary, and this, this, this isn't very good, well, yeah. where, where do I go? And I don't know what the respectful answer to that question would be i don't know uh that's uh, that is a uh, personal a brilliant solution would be to have three groups men women and uh and others but that uh, isn't always possible uh and then just talk to the to the to the person in in question i mean yes indeed i mean there is that but i mean the only question that would occur to me if that would say are we not then othering people even more by pushing them into a separate little, well, you, you're the, the non-binary, you, you can all go in this other place. And, um, but as long as people are comfortable with that, I think is the main thing. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I think the division into men and women is, I think, uh, historically based in cis straight perception. Uh, so, the men can't take advantage of women, but uh, gay people uh, might not feel comfortable into this uh, division either. So it's not only about gender identity. This particular example is uh, is about se- uh, sexual orientation as, uh, as well. I think. Mm. Or a gay man might be really, really happy that he's going to be in a huge room full of other guys. Yeah. <laughs> possibly. <laughs> well, possibly. I, mean, I, I think, but I think, I mean, that's just, just sort of, uh, that's just a sort of, I guess you could call it like logistics, really. But I think uh, a bigger issue is, I think, the, the way that gender perception in the kind of uh, larger, should we say, Viking, pagan, adjacent community where people mm-hmm. perceive this mythical past where men are all nine foot guys covered in muscles and all the women are wearing chainmail bikinis and 
never the twain shall meet. It sounds silly, but a lot of people, even if yeah, they yeah. don't say that, they absolutely, that is how they perceive the past, you know, because they, they watch the Vikings TV series, they see heavy metal yeah. album covers or fantasy art by Frank Frazetta and all that, which, you know, which is all great stuff. Uh, but that's not reality. But people, some people, it, it gets muddy for some people because the actual past, the actual reality of what people wore and how they dressed was nothing. People didn't wear chain mail bikinis, or for goodness sake, it's, it's it's just a matter of that's just sort of uh, fantasy artists uh, conforming to the male gaze to sell heavy metal album covers. You know, that's what it is. But uh, I think you get this perception of how the people have this perception of how they feel the past ought to be. If that yeah. makes sense. Uh, and I think I mentioned in a conversation we had about this that there's I've seen people just mention very casually certain things that have been found archaeologically. And um, this wasn't even a heathen page. And so that somebody mentioned on somebody, I think it was a shop, and they mentioned, oh, there's this article by Neil Price. He said, oh, it's possible this person in this grave might have been trans. And all that Neil Price had said was something like, that's possible. Literally nothing more contentious than that and the amount of vitriol and and bigotry and hate in in, in the comments was I, I was surprised at it really because it was people who certainly weren't heathen but followed this viking page and liked the viking aesthetic and it, it obviously touched a very raw nerve the thought that the past might not be as special as they want it to be in their perspective it's interesting to realize that when it comes to uh, gender identity and trans and non-binary stuff, that the West as we know it is the only and one civilization that only knows two genders. All other civilizations, both now and uh, in the in the past, uh, have at least three genders or much more the the jews have six um, in india where gender identity and sexual orientation is uh, a continuum because their civilization looks at that so much differently than we and they have 22 uh, different cat uh, uh, categories so while we think we have the normal view, um, in fact, we, uh, we are the uh, odd, uh, odd one, one out with only two, uh, two genders. And that may be good to realize also within ethan uh, communities, because most probably the Vikings had more genders as, uh, as, uh, as well. I think there's a, there's a I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast. There's a, an article by Carol Clulo um, called Regardless of Sex. Really interesting uh, hypothesis, really. As anything then can't really be 100% proved factually. Mm -hmm. uh, but her perception is that, or her uh, contention or her theory is that in the Viking era, the evidence we have for that pre-Christian sort of period, that there was no, there was only one gender, it was man, and everything else was less. Mm -hmm. So whether you were a woman, a slave, 
or any other person, you were this other category. Man was the main thing, everything else, you were just not man. Yeah. So that if a woman took up arms to become a warrior, or in any context, oh, well, you're now a man then, in terms of their culture at that time. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean trans in the way that we would understand it now, but that was the cultural interpretation of that, because man was the thing that was important, everything else was this other category. <laughs> uh, well, that's a really intriguing, because as I always say, that uh, the past is weirder and more interesting than we can possibly, than we're, than we're really ready for in a lot of cases. It's, it's fascinating. And, well, as, as we talked about before this, this, this is borne out in a very interesting saga called Yavara Saga Okhydrex, or Hervor's Saga. And uh, Mar Maria Kvilhag has done some really interesting work interpreting that, and a few other uh, people as well, where this woman decides to take up arms to avenge somebody's death, and she decides, I'm going to become a warrior. And there's a very funny bit where she tries to get a sword. I mean, it's, it's unintentionally funny. And um, she gets this particular magical sword called Tirfing. And the gender in which she's described in the saga switches from female to male when she becomes a warrior or shield maiden, for want of a better word. And she does all this fighting and is, uh, according to the saga, a very fierce warrior, does all this great stuff. And then the character decides that, right, I've, I've, I've done my fighting, I've achieved my vengeance. I am now going to become a wife. I want to have children now. And then the gender switches back to female. Mm -hmm. in, in the action, this is not a projection or anything back in time. This is literally in the actual saga. And that's a really interesting, almost impossible sort of, did they mean that she changed gender or was it how they interpret that or was she taking on a man's role? I think that's very interesting to sort of see that as, as clearly as that. Yeah. Connecting this story to what you were told before, um, it almost sounds like uh, being a man or, or being a, a warrior is the same thing. So they had warriors and non-warriors, other people. Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the, 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 sort of the, the sense there. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a much later saga, so you could argue that it was, you know, many other things about it. It's not like one of the old, old ones, but um, mm -hmm. it's certainly very intriguing that that sort of thing happened. Yes. Absolutely. Um, but one thing I, I just mentioned, what I mentioned also, that the more people look into things like gender identity and sexuality and things, when people think about the gods themselves, of course, are... You know, where people assume that they're very, very cis and what have you, but really, the gods, in, if if they are actual deities, if if that's your belief, then they can be both cis and trans and queer and straight all at the same time because they are their 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 manifestations are unlimited, really. Yes, and it is also interesting that a lot of uh, deities have. A male part and a, fe a female part. Um, I know a very good example from old Egyptians, like Bess and Beset. Um, and 
it's the same God, or, or yeah, it looks like the same God, but Bess is the male and Bess is the female, or the fi- female part. And I think we have uh, this in heathen, uh, heathenry also. Um, I think Freya and uh, Freya have the same tasks. Well, I mean, Freya and Freya is is a, is a complex one again because I think their names translate as lord and lady, so they're sort of potentially from an even older fertility cult kind of thing. Potent- yeah. that's one theory. But um, so it's almost as if we don't really know their real names; they are just the mm-hmm. lord and lady, whoever they are. Yeah. And in some traditions, they're brother and sister and married, which is, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. gods can do all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, if you know anything about Greek and Roman gods, that's oh, absolutely yes. fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, they could do stuff that humans can't do, indeed. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, well, that's the thing. Like, Odin doesn't eat food. He lives on wine. He lives on mead. He doesn't need to eat food because yeah. he's a god and he can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that when you people talk about, like, Odin wearing women's clothes to do sort of women's magic or, you know, uh, or to do Sather and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine for Odin to do it, but in the culture at the time, this was conceived as a bad thing for, for uh, uh, a man to do, but some men did do it. Yeah. Uh, in uh, gender diverse uh, communities, the ex-example is also famous. By being mm. sometimes male, sometimes unclear, sometimes doing female stuff. Loki is a oh, bit weird, yeah. uh, or maybe better said, div- different anyway. Well, I think uh, one of the interesting things, because when I first got into heathenry, I was a bit wary about Loki because I was reading a lot of, say, less good sort of sources or, or sort of interpretations. But yeah. when I saw um, how many. Um, should we say, gay, queer, gender non-conforming people um, found great sort of theological solace in finding a, a god. They said, oh, what, which they could see themselves in. Mm-hmm. Ah, there's a god who's like this. There's a god who's, who's changeable and, 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 and mutable. And yeah. that, that hugely, found that hugely comforting is the word, I, I, I suppose. And I so I, I think that's one of the reasons why that's um, contributed. One of the contributing. Sorry, go on, Suzanne. And also a a god who is needed but not wanted, and taken for their skills but not the whole of them, mm-hmm. and is cast out, is outcast but allowed in, is in Asgard but doesn't have a hall. All of this kind of. Being in society but not of it can be a, a great resonance for LGBT people, for queer people, to be able to see in reflected directly in the in the myth cycle somebody who is treated like they are in modern society. Maybe their experiences are mirrored directly in that. Um, you know, Loki being abused, being insulted, but then being needed for their skills but not actually wanted or valued i think also having said that i do know people who would be within the queer community who are devotees of freya who find oh freya's the one for me you know or um or trans people who, who really really like odin you know which, if only just to annoy the odinists which is great fun. <laughs> 
Um, so I think the, the, the gods are so diverse and that they are not just simply a god of this or a god of that or, you know, whereas, you know, as you think of there's so many aspects, even if we just pick Odin, he's the god of hospitality and wisdom and knowledge, but also madness, blindness, death, and kind of all kinds of horrible things as well. Yeah. And many, many other things besides. Mm -hmm. uh, so the gods are so vast in terms of their many, multiple, multiple aspects. Um, I'm, I'm reminded slightly of the way that sort of uh, the concept of gods within Hinduism, where they have multiple, multiple aspects of one particular god. Um, I'm sure I'm describing Hindu theology appallingly there, but uh, <laughs> that's a very, very uh, too long didn't read uh, sort of uh, summation there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, pantheon is uh, very di uh, di uh, diverse, and it accounts for every uh, deity. So what I was thinking of was was um, what this means for the future in terms of heathenry and inclusion and gender and sex identity and stuff. Um, are, are we seeing a general broader trend that's more inclusive, or would you say in your experiences? I don't feel that I am enough into heathen uh, communities being a not not specific vegan. I'm uh, I'm not uh, not not sure. Uh, I can only tell that where I I am and where I am involved. That uh, yeah, that they tend to be uh, more inclusive. That's the the uh, chicken and the and the egg story again, because mm -hmm. if a space is very gendered in a way that I don't like, I won't be there for uh, for a long time. What are your thoughts, Suzanne? I think I'm I'm seeing uh, from the groups that maybe I'm involved in that I'm seeing uh, a general sort of society shift to having that awareness of inclusivity of maybe saying oh yeah we now very much aware as uh, as a whole country almost that not all disabilities are visible and i think that is starting to extend into gender and gender awareness um, and certainly in the last two generations we've started to have more more words to be able to describe for individuals to describe how they feel about their gender, how they want to describe that gender. Um, the generations before me were, were experiencing a, a country where gender identity was very set, um, rules and roles were very set, so they didn't have the words and the language that we have now, and the generations that are younger than I am are starting to really explore that language and express it and I think that is starting to percolate through to uh, certainly to heathenry um, we're seeing quite a big shift and exploration into queer heathenry at the moment and gender roles like Price's work uh, looking at, at that grave um, and I think that's kind of opened up the way for new academic studies, which then percolates through to the practice of heathenry and an awareness of of language, of gendered roles, 
and I'm I'm hoping that is starting to to shift, uh, and I'm hoping it will shift for the better, and people will start becoming aware of maybe roles in groups that have been gendered that they can then take another look at and say, well, actually, we can do this another way, and include more people because of that. Certainly, I would echo what you said there, Suzanne, in that I I, I would see uh, I think what you said is great, but also just to add to that, that the online communities i've been involved with and not just auk but sort of just sort of um in the broader online community the number of um should we say sort of queer people you know queer lesbian not non-binary or, or trans people who are pagan or heathen online is huge in terms of the, the population online now that might just be a sign of being online I don't know, but certainly, if that, but that certainly bodes well for the future. That if those people are there, then the new communities and the new groups that are coming up, we say, then that's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves and what those people bring to heathenry and uh, the new books and interpretations and uh, sort of their contributions to the community. I, I look forward to that. Yeah, a good example I like to share is uh, in the queer pagan camp uh, uh, that I mentioned before. When we have on the first day the introductions, we not only share our name, uh, but also the preferred uh, pronoun. I think that is a, uh, a nice thing to, uh, to, uh, to do. Uh, if the group isn't too, uh, too large, of course. If you have 100 people, then it may take uh, uh, too much time, uh, <laughs> uh, but in smaller groups, I think that's a really nice uh, thing to uh, to uh, do. So people can tell how they would like to best. And uh, what I also see uh, uh, more often is with uh, if in larger groups uh, people wear name tags that they write. Also, their preferred pronoun. And I think this is just a little example how to make uh, a heathen more in inclusive for non uh, non binary and trans people, and not to forget uh, intersection. Yes, I think uh, also I think uh, we have to think that this is uh, this is a diverse community of individuals, and hopefully, when these people come together. And uh, and that's very much what it's about, this community, that when people of different sort of identities can come together with a common cause of this heathenry, um, then fantastic things can be achieved, whether it's a, a ritually or whether it's sort of raising money or, or building things or creating something or, or creating a sort of um, group identity. That can be super positive. Oh, yes. Uh, and that's what I've seen. That's what I've seen. When people are included and there's that sense of inclusion is there and you can feel it in the air when it goes on, yeah. everybody's happy to be there. And that's, that's incredible to sort of witness, really. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, for example, last week, I went to my physiotherapist and I told them about my experiences of medicine. Uh, how different I am perceived by so society now I am ill, or at least perceived as uh, as uh, as. And she was astonished about the difference how people 
react to a woman and how they react to to a, a man. And most people don't know this because they are a man their entire life or a woman their entire life. I have been both, or at least perceived as uh, both. Uh, so I know I know this uh, this uh, di- uh, difference, and that is unique knowledge to uh, trans people or intersex people or uh, non uh, non uh, non binary people. And like you say, I think it's adding to the experience of a heathen community if we are 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 able to share this kind of experiences and therefore this unique knowledge um, and that would uh, benefit the an entire com, uh, com, uh, community I think. definitely definitely i think well this is this is what it's all about building this diverse i mean i've used this slightly flippant phrase in our sort of um non-podcast chats the rubik's cube of humanity the multiple different colors and different arrangements <laughs> and that's great you know, nice but, one well no I, I i don't mean that in a kind of derogatory sense no 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 no, no, the, no when all the but um, when all those different groups of people can come together and find a common cause or you know find a you know a way to coexist mm-hmm. then that's great i think that's that is fantastic when we can see those things i've seen that at events where we've talked about with uh, Frigga and in previous podcasts, I think it's just a, a fantastic thing, thing to witness uh, as, as I'm slowly moving to the older generation as well, because of my age and seeing the younger generation come up and I'm, I'm reminded of um, uh, there was one of the first big heathen events I went to and there's a couple I got chatting to this sort of uh, these two gay women and got on very well with had this long conversation about sci-fi and books and stuff. And I was telling my daughter, my very young daughter at the time, and I said, oh, you know, the two women who are in love and they're going to get married and trying to explain it in a nice way. And she was, she didn't even care. She said, well, yeah, obviously. And she was bored by the conversation. Wasn't even, oh, that's weird or that's strange. I was like, well, yeah, and so? Yeah. <laughs> Here's me trying to be the super woke dad. And she was like, well, yeah, and? Yeah. Didn't even care. <laughs> Which is which is a nice thing. I think that's the way it should be. That, yeah, you know, it shouldn't shouldn't matter. I shouldn't have to explain. But um, so that was that was a nice thing. I think that bodes well for the future, perhaps. Yeah, it would be great if that would be the general uh, re, uh, reaction. I think. So I think on that note, I'd like to wrap up the this week's podcast and say thank you to our. Sort of, uh, co-hosts Suzanne and Joachim and hopefully you'll join us again next time on the Weird Thing podcast you can find us on theweirdthing.com and on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Weird Thing <laughs>